Thank you, Craig. It is finished. That will be the word next Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, as we come to worship the risen Lord. I believe baptism is not an appendage that you just attach either at the beginning or the end of a service, but is integral to worship. And so I wanted to talk about baptism this evening. I'm going to read two passages. The first one is the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And the second one, if you want to go ahead and turn to it, is Acts 8, verses 35 through 39. Matthew 3, 13, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, that's about 40 miles, to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented and when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Acts 8, verse 35. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. And as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What is to prevent my being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught up Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Let's bow. Father, we thank you for the five who were baptized by immersion this evening. And we pray for those here tonight watching by television perhaps who have professed their faith but have never experienced believer's baptism by immersion. Remind us of the biblical model and of your command. Help us be faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I counsel with those about to be baptized, we usually meet three or four days in advance because I want them to understand what we do, what we practice is called believer's baptism by immersion. It says two things. Only believers, only those who profess faith in Christ need be baptized for it to have any significance. And we do it by immersion. That's the mode that we use. Our name Baptist was first given to us as a mockery to make fun of us. Our forebears were actually called Anabaptists. And in the Greek, Anna means again, Baptist means immerse. And so Anabaptists were those who began baptizing again upon profession of faith in addition to having been baptized as infants. Because in that day they believed, this was in the late 14, early 1500s, they believed that you had to baptize infants because the mortality rate was so high and they believed that unless you were baptized, you could not go to heaven. And so they baptized infants even before they had any ability to profess their faith in Christ. Anabaptists came along and began reading the Bible and did not believe that baptism alone could save you. They believed that only a person who was old enough and mature enough To be responsible before God should be baptized, and the biblical mode of baptism was always immersion. And those who came into their fellowship from other groups were baptized, and as a result, many of the Anabaptists were killed. As a matter of fact, I was up at Truett McConnell College a few weeks ago in Cleveland, Georgia, just a little south of Helen, Georgia, 
So Georgia Baptist College and the president there, Amir Kaner, did his doctoral work in Anabaptist. And so their student center, believe it or not, at Truett McConnell is called the Balthazar Hubmeyer Student Center. I said, who in the world is Balthazar Hubmeyer? And Amir Kaner enjoyed telling me the story that this German Anabaptist was reading the Bible and believed that baptism should be upon profession of faith and began baptizing people. He baptized 300 in one day and over a year, two years period, somewhere between 3,000 and 6,000 people were baptized. And for his trouble, three years later, he was burned at the stake because they believed that he was um, refuting the importance of infant baptism and sending poor innocent children to hell who had not been baptized. Does that make sense? What's the big deal about believers' baptism by immersion? Jesus said it was important. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then you baptize them and then you make disciples. Then you train them. First you save them, then baptize them, then disciple them. Baptism is important. And this evening I want to talk about the how, the when, and the why of this importance. First of all, the how. How was baptism done in the New Testament? Because we want to follow that pattern, don't we? Acts 8, 35 through 39, where Philip is baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch, it says that he was baptized by immersion. Our word baptism literally came from the Greek word transliterated baptizo. The word baptizo, I've said before, literally means to dip or immerse. It's a word out of the blacksmith shop that referred to a blacksmith taking his tongs and picking up a piece of hot metal and plunging it down completely under the cool water. Baptizo did not mean sprinkle or pour or splash. It never did. It means to immerse or submerge or dip completely underwater. All churches originally practiced baptism by immersion. As a matter of fact, if you go to the cathedrals in Europe, built before the 13th century, you'll find that all of them had baptistries in them. For 1800 years or so, even the Roman Catholic Church baptized by immersion and changed it by their own documentation. They said they changed immersion in the winter months because it was inconvenient. They didn't heat the water then, so I imagine people got colds and pneumonia if they baptized them during the winter. So when the New Testament was translated into, from the Greek into English in 1611, the King James Version, almost all the denominations were sprinkling for baptism. The translators got to Matthew 28, 19, and they said, we can't translate this immerse. This is going to upset King James. This is going to upset the Church of England. So they coined a new word and just said, baptize. They made it from the Greek word, baptizo. But the Greek word translated correctly would literally be to dip or immerse. And so if we were to translate the Great Commission accurately, it would be, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is the correct translation of the Greek. And so when Philip took the Ethiopian eunuch down into the water, he baptized him and then came up out of the water. 
he immersed him. And that's the way it was with Jesus. Jordan is a river. It doesn't say he baptized Jesus near the Jordan. It doesn't say he baptized him with the Jordan. It says he baptized him in the water. And the Greek preposition in means in two. And once again, in Mark's gospel, he came up out of the water. And if he came up out of the water, where had he been? He had been down in the water, hadn't he? He was not baptized by immersion because it was convenient or easy. It was a 40-mile hike for him to be baptized by John the Baptist. And incidentally, Jesus was following the model of the Jews who had been using immersion for centuries as a means of ritual purification. Why did he go to the River Jordan? Because there's a lot of water there, and it takes a lot of water to baptize. So why do you make such a big deal out of how one is baptized? Because the method is wrapped up in the meaning, and you can't change the method without changing the meaning. Am I making a big deal about baptism? By immersion? Please say yes. yes. Good. Okay, good. Because I meant to. When should someone be baptized? It's a testimony to your personal commitment in Christ. So Jesus put it in this order make disciples, then baptize, not the reverse. What does that rule out? It rules out infant baptism. A lot of times I'll visit somebody and they'll tell me, I was baptized as a baby. And I'm sure that was a very special time of dedication for them for their parents, but it was not baptism. There's nothing in the Bible anywhere about infant baptism. There's not one account of a baby being baptized. Baptizing infants, as I said, came about early on because of the high infant mortality rate and parents were afraid if their children had not been baptized, they couldn't go to heaven. So just to be on the safe side, they started baptizing children, infants, as soon as it was possible. But nowhere in the Bible is baptism ever practiced apart from one's faith. In Christ. Baptism just doesn't mean anything until that person has reached an age of accountability and responsibility, repented of their sins of their own free will, and by their own confession of faith invited Jesus into their lives to be their Lord and Savior. Then they give an outward expression of the inward experience that has already transformed them. And until you've had that inward experience, you can't have an outward expression. Let me tell you something else the Bible rules out, baptismal regeneration, that somehow baptism saves you. That the moment of baptism is the moment of salvation and you aren't completely saved until you're baptized. Well, what does that say for the thief on the cross in Luke 23? He was saved, today you'll be with me in paradise, and yet he was not baptized. In Acts 10, 47, Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So that verse says they received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized, and you receive the Holy Spirit when you're saved. So you're saved first, and then you're baptized. Jesus said, Become a disciple, and then be baptized. And if you add, this is what irks me, if you add anything to faith in Jesus in order to be saved then you're saying that faith in Jesus by itself is not sufficient. May it never be. So the moment of baptism is not in infancy, it's not in order to become a Christian, then when should one be baptized? As soon after a person has been saved, that person ought to be baptized. That's the New Testament pattern. The Philippian jailer and his family 
in Acts 16, 33, they were baptized immediately at Pentecost. 3,000 were saved and baptized the same day. Baptism is like an inauguration ceremony. It's not a graduation ceremony. It marks a new beginning. You don't wait until after a probationary period has been completed in your marriage before you put on a ring, do you? Do I need to say that again? You don't wait until a probationary period has been completed in your marriage before you put on a ring. You put it on right after you say, I do. And that's the way baptism is supposed to be, according to the Bible. If you profess your faith in Christ, you're ready to be baptized. If you've been saved and you've not been baptized as a believer by immersion, then you've already waited too long. There's no reason to wait any longer. So that's the how and the when. Now the why. Because I run into people all the time. I was baptized as a baby. Why should I be baptized again? If everything else I said hasn't convinced you of the need to be baptized by immersion, do it for this reason and for no other reason at all. Do it because Jesus commanded it. If for no other reason to be baptized, you do it as an act of obedience to him. You remember when you were little and your parents told you to do something and you didn't want to do it and you want to know why? What did they say? <laughs> because I said so. You must have had the same parents I had. You could do one of two things. You could not do what they said so and suffer the consequences, or you could obey. So when Jesus tells us to do something, we do it because he said so. And when he tells us to do something, he has good, good reasons. And when we disobey him, our relationship with him suffers. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, go and make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, a Christian. And that's what most of us here this evening are. We're disciples. And then he said, immerse them. I'm going to go ahead and translate that word correctly since King James and the Church of England isn't looking over my shoulder. Immerse them. That's part of the Great Commission, his assignment to us as believers. We're to baptize those we make disciples, and they are to accept the mandate to be baptized. It is a command of Jesus. Baptizing and teaching are connected grammatically with the assignment to make disciples, which is a command, the imperative. Jesus commands us to baptize those who become disciples and commands those who become disciples to be baptized. Jesus said, whatsoever I have commanded you. Obedience brings joy. And fruitfulness. Many people don't have joy in their Christian lives, and it's because some area they haven't been obedient. In Acts 8, after the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized, it says he went on his way. What? Rejoicing. In Acts 16, the Philippian jailer and his household were baptized after they came to faith. In verse 34, it says his whole family was filled with joy. Obedience accompanies joy. Joy follows obedience. So let me say again, while baptism is not necessary for salvation, it is necessary for obedience. Being baptized doesn't make me a Christian any more than wearing a wedding ring means I'm married, but the ring shows that I belong to Susan, and baptism shows that you belong to Jesus. It's a symbol that doesn't take the place of reality, but it attests to the reality 
for one to be obedient to Christ and gain the blessings of that obedience. So let me say it again. Baptism is a symbol. The Lord's Supper is a symbol. But don't ever say it's just a symbol. The wedding band is a symbol. The American flag is a symbol. But don't ever say they're just symbols because symbols are shorthand for powerful realities. Baptism points to our salvation. But by itself, baptism doesn't save us. You're saved by trusting in Christ as your Savior. And in this evening, if you give your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. And I receive you into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Then you'll be as saved as you can ever be. And if you make a conscious decision to follow Jesus, you can, if you don't make that decision, then you can be held underwater until you drown. And you still won't be saved. Because salvation is only in Jesus. And if you trust him, he can save you right now. And then you'll want to be baptized because you'll want to be obedient and let everybody know, now I belong to Jesus. How? By immersion. When? After you profess your faith. Why? Because he said so. Bow with me. Father, I thank you that 500 years ago some folks began reading the Bible for themselves and decided that taking a shortcut didn't work. That baptism should be for those who profess their faith in you and it should be by immersion only. Let us never shy away from professing that profound truth. And let us always be grateful for those that gave their lives to lead the way. Thank you for the heritage of this church and the sacrifices that have been made for us to enjoy such a great legacy here this evening. Help us be faithful in being your people and making disciples of all nations immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that you have commanded us. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.